I'm humbled to be able to preach to you guys today. Um, I don't I don't deserve this. I shouldn't even be allowed to be here being able to preach to you. Um, I've just been praying for all your guys' hearts this past week and uh, ever since I found out that I would be given the opportunity to preach. Um, so I'm very thankful for this. Um, but I'm going to start off in just in prayer because uh, if God is in here, then all this is in vain. So um, just bow your heads with me and I'm going to pray for us. Father, I love I love you. I need you to move. I need you to do what my words and my voice can't do, which is soften hearts. Holy Spirit, I ask that you you come down to this place, that you grace us with your presence. I pray that you keep me from error, that you only let me say things that would build us up. I pray that you um, quiet my heart right now and quiet my nervousness. And I know that you are speaking through me. I love you. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you that Jesus came and died for our sins. I pray that you do a supernatural work today, Lord, that only you can do. I thank you for your steadfast love that endures forever. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So the goal of my sermon today is for us to see that we must die of ourselves, which is a, a crazy thing to think about. But to follow Christ, we must die. Um, he must increase and we must decrease. Um, Luke 9.23 says that we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. We have to deny ourselves and follow him. Um, so the passage that I'm going to be in today is Luke 9, 57 through 62. Um, and if the little green Bible is in front of you, that's page 55. Um, and this is what the text says. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So right before this, in um, verse 51 of 9, he says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So at this point, Jesus knows where he's going. He knows that he's going to Jerusalem. He knows that he's going to be crucified. Um, so he has a purpose and he knows what he's doing. So while walking and on this way to Jerusalem, Luke points out three uh, different conversations that Jesus has with three different people. Um, and I believe that all three of these conversations are conversations that Jesus um, has to confront idols of the heart. And it is calling followers to himself. In my sermon, I will show three different idols that uh, Jesus preaches against. So we're just going to start off and go verse by verse. And the first verse, 57, says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And is, is this not what almost, almost all of us have said to Jesus? Haven't we almost all of us, if you grew up in the South or you've been around a biblical culture at all or just this culture of Christianity, haven't almost all of us said 
Jesus, I will follow you no matter where that takes me. I mean, it could have been when you were five years old and you were growing up in VBS and you said, Jesus, you're my Lord and I will follow you wherever that takes me. Or maybe it was like me and it was, I was 16 years old and I said a prayer. I actually didn't say a prayer, but I said, Jesus, uh, I will follow you wherever you go. Uh, and wherever you take me, that's fine with me. Um, and, and we have the same thought as this man. He said, I will follow you wherever you go. Um, and most of the commentaries will say that the man truly did have intentions of following Jesus, just like most of us actually had. And most of us have now. We have intentions of following Jesus. We say, we'll follow you wherever you go, Lord, and wherever that takes us. But after this declaration of faith that this man has, Jesus responds not in a common way that we would expect, but in a way that uh, is, is very different. He says in verse 58, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The man says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus responds to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Isn't this peculiar? Don't you think that Jesus would say, okay, come on, let's go. But he, he's confronting something. He's confronting um, this man's comfort. See, Jesus was God, so he knew what this man was thinking. He knew that, yes, this man says he wants to follow him, but there's something that would hold him back. And so he says, if you want to follow me, then like, I have nowhere to even rest my head. Are you, could you handle that? And so Jesus responds before the man can even say anything negative at all. All the man says, he wants to follow Jesus, and Jesus rebukes him. Jesus, being God, knew that the man enjoyed his comfort very much. So Jesus says to him, you say you want to follow me. How about following me with nowhere to stay? Few clothes on your back, nowhere even to rest your head. Are you ready for even that type of sacrifice? Jesus is preaching against our comfort. There's a, uh, there's a pastor in Alabama, his name's David Platt, and I, I listen to him. I try to listen to him every day. He's so convicting. Um, and, and stick with me while I read this. I, I read this in his book that he just put out, and it really shirred up what I was thinking when I was, when I was uh, going through the sermon. And said, uh, He says this, Let's put ourselves in the shoes of these eager followers of Jesus in the first century. What if I were the potential disciple being told to drop my nets? What if you were the man whom Jesus told not even say goodbye to his family? What if we were told to hate our families and give up everything we had in order to follow Jesus? This is where we come face to face with a dangerous reality. We do have to give up everything we have to follow Jesus. We do have to love him in a way that makes our closest relationships in this world look like hate. And it is entirely possible that he would tell us to sell everything we have and give it to the poor. But we don't want to believe it. We are afraid of what it might mean for our lives. So we rationalize these passages away. We say, Jesus, wouldn't we, we say Jesus wouldn't really tell us not to bury our father or say goodbye to our family. Jesus didn't literally mean to sell all we have and give it to the poor. What Jesus really meant was blank. We, we fill in the blank there. And this is where we need to pause because we are starting to redefine Christianity. We are giving in to the dangerous temptation to take the Jesus of the Bible and twist him into a version of Jesus we are more comfortable with. Are we going to choose comfort or are we going to choose the cross? 
This is the question we struggle with every day. Are we going to choose comfort? Or are we going to choose the cross? And, and Platt, I, I believe, has it right. We, we, looking at my life and just thinking, I go through the day running away from Jesus so that I can run closer to this world when I'm really called to forsake the things of this world. I, I say I'll follow Jesus, but when it comes down to it, do I really do it? Do we really do it? We'll say, yes, Jesus will follow you. But when it comes to the things of this world, we say we'll follow that. What does it mean for us when we will spend hundreds of dollars on new gadgets, on more clothes and on stuff, instead of spend our money on Christ and his gospel going forward? Is that what our lives are made up of? Is it just stuff? Guys, were you more excited to get a new phone than to share the gospel with someone? And girls, were you more excited for a new person to be able to spend hours in the word? What is the joy of our heart? Is it Jesus in the cross? Or is it this world? This is something that uh, has hit me. What does it mean when I will spend money every day eating out? When thousands of children who have never heard the gospel are dying daily because they cannot get a single meal? What does that mean? Have we become so enamored with ourselves and so enamored with the things of this world that we've forsaken Jesus? Have we denied Jesus and put in his place comfort? Have we made the things of this world and our comfort Savior and Lord of our life over Jesus, the one who died for our souls? Have we put our hope in this world? Think about it. Have we put our hope in this world? If you think about how you spend your day and how you spend your money and how you spend your time, what is it, what is it based on? Is it based on fulfilling our earthly desires of having more things, of having more pleasure? Or is it based on Jesus and his gospel? And when I say comfort, I, I do not just mean comfort in these things we have, but comfort in what we do, even. We have become so comfortable being quiet, not sharing the gospel because it is a personal belief or because we are shy that we will not share it with anyone. We covet popularity or people thinking well of us that we keep from them the only thing that matters, which is Jesus. Jesus is calling us out of our comfort. He is calling us to forsake the things of this world and put on him and him alone. The cross was not comfortable for Jesus. God's wrath was not comfortable for Jesus. Yet he went to it in perfect obedience. Out of love for us, Jesus did the most uncomfortable thing in the world, which was die on the cross for us and take on the wrath of God so that you may have life. How close are we holding our comfort? 
Verse 59 through 60 says this. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus has called this man to follow him, just like he has called us to follow him. But the man has a perfectly good excuse though, doesn't he? His father has just died and he wants to give him a proper burial. This was a huge sign of honor during biblical times. It was even in the Old Testament something that you should do. You should bury your father and give him this proper burial that he deserves. You think that Jesus would let this man off the hook? You think Jesus would say that excuse is is a good excuse. You can go bury your father. (laughs) You think Jesus would understand that the man has a lot going on right now. But yet Jesus instead calls the man to follow him still. He tells him to proclaim the kingdom of God. In essence, Jesus is saying... I know this isn't the time you think that is good, but I think it is the right time to follow me. Jesus has confronted this man's idol of timing. Um, And this idol of time specifically is saying, for us, this is what we say in this this same context. um, It's like us saying, it is bad timing for us to follow Jesus now, or it is bad timing for us to serve the kingdom because we have something else going on. I mean, but isn't it strange though? Isn't it really peculiar that this man's father has died, yet Jesus will still not take his excuse? He still calls him to kingdom work. Um, And this is just speculation. It doesn't say this in the text at all. Um, And this is me just talking here. But more than likely, for this man... No time would ever be a good time. There would be another thing keeping him from following Jesus after this. He will have another excuse every time. Is that your pattern? You guys in the congregation right now, is that your pattern? Is there, a, is there an excuse that always comes up? Do you, do you tend to say, this month isn't a good time to go share the gospel? This month isn't a good time for me to serve. This, maybe is it, this year isn't a good time. I've got a lot going on. I'm in, I'm in college, or my, uh, my children are in high school right now, or I have a, a newborn baby. Is, is there an excuse that comes up? And is it a repetitive thing where every year it's a new thing? Um, I, I do this all the time. During the school year, I always say, well, I'll get this done, or I'll go serve at this place once the school year's over. But then once the summer comes up, there's always something new. Because then when summer comes up, I have to work more. And then I say, well, once uh, the fall comes up, there won't be as much work and I'll go serve at this place. But then it's the same cycle over and over again. I, I do this repeatedly. Um, but, but do you find yourself constantly thinking or saying that this month or this year, it, it just won't work to serve the way you should be serving? Honestly, do you guys do that? 
do you honestly um, think that your excuse is good enough? Um, no excuse matters at all. Um, I, have a, I have a video to play for you guys. I'm going to a little bit about this video before um, I show it. Um, it's about a guy named Zach, and he, he used to work at New Spring Church, which is in Anderson, South Carolina. He, he died about a week ago, last Monday. He had a severe cancer, um, and it, it put things in perspective for me. So I'm just, I want to show this video, and I want you guys to really pay attention to what he's uh, saying. Like I said, he died um, about a week ago. And uh, he had this blog that he was writing. And about a couple months ago, his health started to get really, really bad. And he had to uh, stay full-time in the hospital now in intensive care. Um, they put a morphine drip in his abdomen so that he wouldn't feel the pain anymore. But I was reading his blog. And, and he said this. If I was a healthy man who did not have to worry about insurance premiums and deductibles, then there is so much I could be doing for the kingdom. But my illness and my pain and my suffering do not in any way preclude me from getting involved in kingdom work. The focus simply becomes how can I minister in my current condition? What is your excuse? Let me read that again one more time, this last part. But my illness and my pain and my suffering do not in any way preclude me from getting involved in kingdom work. The focus simply becomes, how can I minister in my current condition? This was a man who was on his deathbed. This was a man who was dying, who his body was failing him. And he's asking, how can I minister in my current condition? What is your excuse? What is my excuse? I, my body is working fine. I have a place to live. I have money coming in every week to me. But I will find excuses. Most of you guys have healthy bodies in here. Not, maybe not all of you. And we find excuses. What excuse do you have going on that you can't love your spouse? What is your excuse that you can't find somewhere to serve where you are? This man was on his deathbed and he was trying to serve. Let that be perspective for us. How can any of us say we are too busy to serve? He was on his deathbed dying. How selfish can we ever be to think that we can get out of loving God fully, serving Him to the best of our ability because we have something else going on. Nothing is greater than Jesus. Nothing is greater than bringing His gospel forward. All of your excuses are insignificant. All of my excuses are insignificant. I am, I am the worst at this. Jesus has called us to serve Him no matter what to serve and love Him before all things we have going on, let's not make excuses regarding timing and serving Him. Don't say anymore, I have something, on, I have something going on this month. 
We need to find a way to serve, find a way to love, find a way to share his gospel. We should be praying for more time to serve. Because we are serving so much that we don't, there's just, we need more time to do it. Not more time to do our own things. I'm going to go to the next verses now. 61 through 62. I love you guys as well. I want to tell you that. I love you. And I'm sorry if, I feel, if you feel like I'm yelling at you. I love you guys a lot. I just get kind of worked up up here. You know what I'm saying? Um, but anyways, uh, verse 61 through 62 says this. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What I believe Jesus is getting at is he's talking about holding on to our old or current sin. Um, The man says, Jesus, I want to follow you, Lord. Just like the first man did. But this time, he, the man says something a little extra with it. He says, I will follow you, Lord, but. The third idol is that we're not changing or being willing to change our sinful ways. This is an idol of sin. And this is a state of us as Christians who still sin. We say, yes, Jesus, we want to follow you, but. Maybe our reason um, is the same as the man's. Jesus, I want to follow you, but my family. But for a lot of you, I, I, don't, I don't think that's the case. We come up with many reasons why we wouldn't follow Jesus. Maybe we say, Jesus, I want to follow you, but the computer screen is too enticing tonight. Or, Jesus, I want to follow you, but it is, it is too easy to yell at my children. Uh, Jesus, I want to follow you, but it's so a- easy to be lazy at work and not work hard. Or, um, Jesus, I want to follow you, but it's so easy to be so quiet that I won't ever share the gospel with anybody. And it could go on and on. Jesus, I want to follow you, but it is easy to gossip about the girl in the other room. We may not have the same excuses as the man, but we have our excuses. Our, our life, my life, is made up of, Jesus, I want to follow you, but. Um, for me, it's, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I would rather be prideful and exalt in myself rather than you, Lord. That's, that's me. I want to follow you, but I, I find my pride is better than you. My pride brings me more joy than you do. And, and Jesus sees this and he rebukes it. Um, and he rebukes this thought um, by this, this, this idea of the plow. And let me explain to you how the plow works because I didn't really understand it until Fudd explained it to me. Um, but what the plow was was this. is They would hook this thing up to like a, a donkey, okay? And they have this, this one point that they would be, I guess, plowing to to plow the field. 
And so they'd be going with it, and they're, they're heading towards a point, and they'd be walking, and they'd be steering this donkey. And they're supposed to go in a straight line. And they're going to the point. But what Jesus is saying is they're doing this. They're going with the plow, and then they look back, and they start to veer off. <laughs> it's kind of like my driving on the highway when I check my blind spot. I look back, and I start cutting off the guy on this side or this side. <laughs> my dad's going to be happy that I'm in his, on his insurance. But um, that's, that's, what we, that's what the plow means is the man was steering, but then when he looked back, he starts veering off. And this is the exact same with our spiritual walk. But the end, the goal of what we're trying to get to is Jesus. See, we are walking. We're following this path to spiritual walk. And we're going towards him, but because of life, because of sin, because we're sinful, totally depraved humans, we, we turn and we look towards the world and we start to veer off. That's, that's what he's explaining. That's what he's saying is that you're not fit for the kingdom if you're looking back because you're going to veer off away from me. This works, I'm just going to read what I wrote. It says, this works though the same in our spiritual walk. If we have the course set, which is Jesus, but we look back to our former days of being entrenched in sin or our current days when we are unwilling to change our sinful habits, then we will get off the path. And if we look back enough, we will get so far off the path that we will lose our course totally and we will lose sight of Jesus. But there's hope. And all of this. Um, and all of these things, a lot of you may struggle with in a huge way. Um, but, but you're not supposed to do this on your own. He doesn't put this on you so that you can do it on your own. Um, that's what we have the Holy Spirit for. That's, that's why He comes inside of us and dwells in us so that we can feel Him. That we don't have to white-knuckle sin anymore and say we have it down. Um, but God was gracious enough to send His Son to die and give us the Holy Spirit to be able to win this war, but only by Him doing it. I want you guys to turn with me to Matthew thirteen forty four. It says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buries that field. This is what we are called to do. Jesus is this treasure. He is infinitely more beautiful than anything we could ever have or do. And what we are called to do when we find him, when we find this treasure that, in the, that is in the field, which is Jesus, is we surrender everything we have to him. Jesus is a God who demands and deserves everything we have. If you have not turned your finances over to Jesus, you must do it. If you continue to look at um, images on the computer screen that are not good and they degrade women or men, um, and you lust after the members of the opposite sex, then you must surrender that to Him. Um, the sin that you are holding on to you must let it go because Jesus is worthy of all your praise unhindered by sin. 
The reason Jesus is calling us to Him, though, the reason Jesus is calling us to love Him with all our hearts is because He alone is the one who can bring our joy. <laughs> the reason I'm, I'm so overjoyed by talking about this with you right now is because I have felt this. When, before I became a Christian, I had gotten into a, a culture of drugs, um, and, and it started off with, with cigarettes, and then those weren't good enough. And so then I went to alcohol, and that wasn't good enough. And then I went to marijuana, and that wasn't good enough. And then I went to popping pills, and that wasn't good enough. And it wasn't until I, I, that Jesus opened up my heart that I realized the reason I kept doing these greater and greater things is because I was looking for joy. See, I was looking for joy in the cigarettes, but that would never fulfill me. So I went to the next greater joy, which was, which was uh, alcohol. But that, that didn't fulfill me either. And then I, I went to marijuana, and that didn't help me either. And then I went to pills, and that didn't help me either. But the thing was, was when I became a Christian, all those stopped suddenly because I found the joy. See, this is, this is the thing. When you're in sin and, and you look... To, to find these, these things, and you're looking for your joy in these things. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not uh, cigarettes or alcohol or anything like that, but maybe it's your money. Maybe you're holding on to it. Maybe it's uh, relations with the opposite sex. Maybe you're looking for your joy in that. Any sin you fill in the blank, when you look for your joy in that, it's never going to fulfill you. You're just going to keep looking for this higher fulfillment when Jesus is the answer to that fulfillment. Amen? That's, that's an amazing thing. Think about it. Jesus, he, he, for me, he stopped this finding joy in cigarettes or weed or anything like that because he is enough. Jesus is enough. He is enough. You have to believe that. He is enough. He deserves our praise because he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and was resurrected. He died in our place. That's the gospel. We live this life of radically following Jesus because of the gospel. We live this way because He has given us a way to heaven, which is the only through Jesus. He has made us stop relying on the law or good works, but relying on Him alone to save us. Amen. He is the fulfillment of our joy. We stop these things not because it's a good thing to stop, but because we're moral people. We stop these people because of the gospel. Because He died on the cross for us. And he brings an infinite, an infinite amount of joy compared to the world. J.R. Vassar, uh, a pastor in New York City, said this. Jesus died the death he died because we couldn't live the life he lived. Let me read that one more time for you. Jesus died the death he died because we couldn't live the life he lived. Instead of right now getting sad over all the things that you have put before Jesus? Rejoice in the gospel. Yes, repent. Yes, surrender. Yes, give everything you have to him. But rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice that Jesus is enough. When we're worshiping him, when, when Cameron is leading us in worship, give everything you have to him. Raise your hands in the air. You, can, you have freedom. You can dance. You can do whatever you want to do. But He is the satisfier of our joy. He is the fulfillment of our joy. And right now, I, I want everyone to look at me. I want everyone to pay attention to me. 
if you have not put your faith in Jesus, if you maybe started along the course of looking towards Him, maybe you were sincere when you said you wanted to follow Him, but because of life and because of your sin, you don't even see Him anymore. If you were questioning where you ever looking towards him. Maybe you're questioning that right now. Did I ever have the path toward Jesus? Was I ever looking towards him saying, I want to follow him? Put your faith in him now. Here's the thing. Maybe through life, you have looked back your whole life. Maybe you did say a prayer when you were five, or maybe you came to Jesus when you were 16. But through life, you've, you've looked back and you've gone so far off the course of where you were meant to be that he's not even in view anymore. Put your faith in him. Rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice in Jesus. Rejoice that Jesus lived a sinless life and died on the, cro- the cross and took the wrath of God for your sins. And if the Spirit is moving in you right now, don't push Him down. Don't say, I'll hold it off for another day. Maybe it has been 18, 19, 20 years since you stepped inside a church. Or maybe your whole life you have never realized the extent of your sin, but right now you're realizing it. Put your faith in Him. Set your course back on Him. And He doesn't expect for you to do this alone. That's why He gives you the Holy Spirit. But our God is a God who demands radical sacrifice. Like David Platt says, our God is a God who deserves everything we have. Don't go about it anymore half-giving. Give everything. He deserves it. He died on the cross for your sins. So when we go into worship, you worship. You worship so loud, you give everything you have because He died on the cross for you. You open your mouth and you sing as loud as you can. You rejoice in the gospel. If Maybe during the first song, you just need to surrender. You can do it. You can sit in your chair and you can do it. But you rejoice in the gospel. Because our God is a God who should be rejoiced over. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand it over to Cameron and he's going to lead us and we're going to worship and it's going to be awesome. Jesus, I thank you for your love. I thank you, Lord, that you died on the cross for us. that you love us unconditionally. I thank you that you are a God who deserves all of our praise. I thank you that you are a God who can be the fulfiller of our joy and our happiness, and in you alone can we find that. I thank you, Lord, that you saved me, and I pray, Lord, that the hearts that you are moving right now, 
that you were stirring up that they would rejoice in you and they would give over their life to you, Lord. Let our worship not be something that we do on a Sunday morning, but that we do throughout the week. Our life is a life of worship. Our Sunday mornings are not the only time we worship. We worship you throughout the week. And let us keep our mind on that. Let us keep our mind on the things of you. Let our life and let our worship be more than a song, Lord. We lift you up. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for everything that you have done, that you are doing and you will do. Holy Spirit, I ask you to move now. I thank you that you are faithful. I love you. We love you. And we praise you. I pray this in Jesus' redeeming name. Amen.